conversations. Hey everyone, Beck and Scott here with you today to talk about the issue that probably causes the most stress to people around this time of the year if you're not lying on the beach and you're a medical student who's just finished med school and about to start internship. We are talking about net calls. Mm, Sick people in the hospital. Who would have thought they'd be there? Yeah, it's always a bit of a scary thing when you see them, but we thought we'd go through not so much how to run a met call. So med regs, ICU regs out there, there might be a little bit of juice in here for you, but mostly this one's for the med students and the interns who actually have a really, really important role to play in a met call, but spend a lot of time in the early days standing or really lying in the fetal position in the corner of the room during one of these medical emergencies. And we want to get you out running the show a little bit. Yeah. And I guess because there's often really poor communication in met calls, unfortunately, to kind of start thinking about the things that you'd be doing, early management, instigating it, and maybe reminding other people if they get a bit distracted as well. Yeah. So we'll do podcast episodes in the future about ward calls. That's not what this is. We'll keep it general. So to start with, Scott, what what is a MET call? I think it stands for Medical Emergency Team. And it's a design call that they make the call. It goes out of the hospital loudspeaker and you get a rapid response team of like predetermined doctors who are on call to come to all the MET calls. Mm. So it depends on what kind of hospital you're working in. But a classic MET call team might consist of one ICU registrar, one medical registrar and one ICU trained nurse. Yeah, and usually the home team for that MET call should come as well. Um, some hospitals will sometimes have an ICU trained nurse instead of an ICU registrar, depending on the staffing and lots of things. Hmm. So what what might trigger the call of a MET call depends a lot on um, the comfort level of the people looking after a patient. So if a patient on the ward crosses a certain threshold in their vital signs, um, then a MET call will be called as a as a trigger so on most ops charts there are different colored sections that specify this would be this would trigger a met call for example perhaps a heart rate over 120 i'm not going to list them all off but you get the idea another thing that could trigger a met call is anyone being concerned so a nurse might look at the patient and just say they just look crap we'll call a met call we'll get those people in to help um and have a rapid response you, as an intern, can also call a MET call if you're concerned about a patient and if you're not getting help quickly enough. So MET calls are your friends. So if you're, if you're an intern or a resident, you see a patient, you're worried about them. If you're really thinking about it, just call a MET call. No one will ever blame you if you're worried about a patient to make sure that they're safe. And mm. um, so the way that MET calls happen, if you haven't actually seen one before, can be very variable and often they can be hectic disorganized and it's very unclear who's doing what so the way it works is the the call goes out and then people arrive as soon as they can so there's often a drizzle of people coming into the room some of them have never met the patient before some of them are looking after the patient but don't know the acute situation often uh, even if you're running the met call you won't know what role these different people play you don't know who the icu registrar is they're dressed the same as the nurses it's all very unclear. So communication is really, really important. And you hear this all the time, but you can hear it from us too. <laughs> yeah, we'll repeat it. And um, even if you see other people, like a lot of MET calls are kind of, the communication isn't very good. So if you can be like a good example in the MET call, clearly identify yourself, you know, clearly offer yourself up for jobs and roles in the team, that can be really helpful. Yeah, so a few little tidbits. And um, I think that's really important saying that 
saying who you are in terms of what level of experience or skill you're likely to have, just saying like, hi, I'm an intern. I was just walking past. I don't know the patient, but what can I do to help? Or even better, I'm an intern. Can I, and then volunteer something. Can I go and find the folder for you? Can I put in a cannula for you? Or I'm the resident. I know the patient well. So even if you've got someone senior who might be managing the acute things, you can, you know, offer a lot of input Mm. and history. Yeah. And communication, useful things. Um, just to go over stuff that everyone knows, close the loop. So if someone asks you to do something, say, okay, you know, I understand this instruction, I'll go and do it now, and then come back and say, I've now done that. So, so yes, I've put in a cannula, I've taken some bloods, I'm going to send them for an FBE, UEC, and troponin. And at that point, the registrar can say, oh, sorry, also send them for coags or also do this other thing. It's just really important to keep the conversation flowing at Mm. all times. That's a really good point because there's usually a lot of things going on at once. So it's really helpful if people like, okay, I'm doing the bloods, I'll send them off. And then Mm. they say when they've sent them off. Yeah. So a really common situation I've seen is um, the person running the Met call will say, does anyone know the patient? Everyone says no. And then they'll say, can someone go and get the folder? And it's that whole thing of not using the word someone or anyone because nobody is someone or anyone. And what can often happen is five people will all leave the room to go and find the patient's notes. It's better if somebody says, yes, I'm going to get the folder. I'll bring it back. Yeah. So maybe the question, if you're leading the Met call, is who wants to get the folder? And they're designated and they run out. Yeah. Yeah. Or Sarah, can you go and get the folder? Yeah. If you're good with names. Okay. So let's say you're the, the resident who knows the patient well. You've just heard the Met call called, you run there and you're you're the only one who can present this patient to the Met team. How are you going to do it? So the difference from the normal um, kind of uh, presentation thing is you want to, you identify who you are. So you say, I'm the resident looking after the patient. But first, before you introduce the patient, you'll say what the Met call is for. So you'll say, this is a Met call for blood pressure of 90 over 50 yeah. or whatever. And that is so key. There's nothing more frustrating than getting to a Met call and someone saying, this is, this is Lisa, she's 28, her favorite food is watermelon, and she's day seven of an admit. You just want to be like, this is why we're here. Get yeah. straight into it. I don't know how well claps go across <laughs> the podcast meeting. Yeah, you probably just, <laughs> just want to scared emphasize some people my there. Passion. You're all woken up in your cars, wherever you are now. Uh, um, yeah, so, so I totally agree. You say, this is a met call for rapid AF with a normal blood pressure and a heart rate of 140. Yeah, and then you say the background of the patient. So be yeah. really quick and brief. So they, they just want that one line that, you know, this is an 84-year-old lady, day five in hospital with community-acquired pneumonia. Um, you know, maybe day one per some other issue that she's had, if you have that information. That's mm. all they really want. Yeah, and if you if you feel confident about this, it can be useful to frame it a little bit in terms of what you think is going on. Like this is Brian. He's an 83-year-old man who was admitted yesterday with diarrhea. He's had poor oral intake and he's only had one liter of IV fluids in 24 hours. I think he's dry. And that can be a good starting point, although it does open things up for a bit of um, confirmation bias, which is a whole different conversation. Mm. Now, what I thought we could do is, um, I hope I don't sound too preachy with this whole thing. But anyway, what I thought we could do um, for, for interns and medical students who haven't done a lot of MET calls is to just highlight in a really structured way, what the six things that everyone is capable of doing. It doesn't matter if you don't understand at all what's happening with this deteriorating patient. It doesn't matter if you don't have the medical knowledge. Just really, really practical things that everyone can do. And what is more practical than a long, unwieldy mnemonic? Mm, perfect. 
Uh, only thing is, though, it doesn't kind of spell anything like maybe a part of the anatomy or something inappropriate that would make it easier to remember. Uh, look, we'll throw that one out to the crowd. So the mnemonic that I've made up um, is, a, is a partner to the Dr. ABC. Someone, you all have to do that. That's really important. I'm not going to say this is better than that. That's really good. This is maybe second best. Um, so the things that I think that junior staff can all do at every Met call are A-A-B-B-C-C. So A, the first A is for aims. What are the goals of care? What's the patient's resus status? Really useful to know that right at the outset. If someone's peri-arrest and um, they're not for CPR, it's great to have someone to just quickly say, look at this form. This patient is not for CPR. Yeah, preferably in front of the patient really loudly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The second A is for access, as in IV access. So what you want to do there is figure out if, if they've got IV access, if you think that they might need it, and it's a met call, they're almost definitely going to need it. And if they don't have IV access, then you have that skill. Put a drip in. Yep. And say that you'll do it as well. Say, I'm the resident. Can I put a drip in or should I put a drip in? And everyone usually kind of sits around, kind of saunters around the room, kind mm. of not doing much, and they'll probably be really happy that you put your hand up. Mm. Then we get into the Bs. What do the Bs stand for? So background. So these... These are things that should be checked in every met call. So you want to know about the patient's past medical history and kind of what's been happening to them in hospital the last couple of days. Is this a new issue that's happening now? You want to look at the trend of OBS, again, seeing what the difference is now. Um, You want to look at their medications, particularly are there any that would maybe affect their OBS or might have triggered the met call. And you want to get their most recent investigations, particularly things like their UE and CMP for that day, um, their HB to check if there's a drop, Hemoglobin, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that a couple of key things in the past medical history that often come up at a MET call that are useful are if you can flick to that admission page and see that they've got a, if they've got heart failure, knowing, knowing that is helpful because you might be a bit more restrained with the fluids that you give them or it might explain if they've got a hypoxic MET call. And mm. um, it's useful to know if they've got COPD and if they do, um, are they a CO2 retainer, which also will guide the met call and, and prevent you from giving them too much oxygen. Mm, yeah. So as we said, you want to check the most recent bloods, but you'll usually need to take some more. So send off a set. Maybe this you is need your a... second B. Yeah, second B. B for bloods. So um, check the old ones and double check with the reg if they want anything else like troponins or a group and save as well. Mm. And again, don't underestimate how helpful it is for someone else to write the blood slip and organize that sending of the bloods. I should have mentioned also a clinical assistant will usually come to a met call, so there'll be someone who can go and do all the gopher jobs. A clinical Anyways. assistant? Yeah. Oh, at my hospital, we have a... <laughs> <laughs> What's a clinical assistant? Like a CA? What's a CA? A clinical assistant? Someone who can... Someone who will physically take the bloods down to pathology. Or what do you call them? I don't think we have them. A, a volunteer person? These really? people are paid, though. They're not volunteers. I've never met these people, but okay. who who sends the bloods in your medicals? But it's like a what do you call them? The people like an orderly. Yeah, okay. an orderly. Yeah, yeah. An orderly. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, good. Um, so so we've said two A's: aims, access, two B's, background, and bloods. Now we've got two C's. First C is chest X-ray. Ask if it's needed. It's often needed, and then order it. So ordering on a practical level, ordering a chest X-ray. Every hospital will have a different system, but because this is urgent, you'll most likely need to call radiography, the radiographer as well, and make sure they come. 
Yeah, and we thought maybe ECG in there, but usually mm. it'll be kind of the person leading the Met Call who says when you do the ECG, but just mm. make sure it's not forgotten. And a really important job is to go and find the old, an old ECG if mm. there's any abnormalities. Mm. So that's the cardiograph. The cardiograph, so it starts, yeah. It starts with C. There you go. Uh, and then the other C is calls. So junior staff can be really useful to make those, those calls um, that might come out of the Met Call. So calling the home team and saying your patient is in a Met Call calling um you know the acute pain service or calling cardiology whatever um referrals need to be made so to just go over that again these six things are things that both kind of junior staff at the met call and probably regs should be looking at too because these these are kind of all the sources of information and early things you'll need before you can decide what you do so we've got aims access background bloods chest x-ray cardiograph and calls and so the things that need to happen is someone needs to find the OBS chart, the past medical history, the med chart, someone needs to check the investigations, someone needs to order the chest x-ray, someone needs to check the old bloods, take some new bloods. Yeah. They're the main kind of things. Yeah. And, and everything happens simultaneously. So while you're finding all of these things, there'll be also some institution of management as well. Um, so I think that even medical students can perform some of these roles too. And I thought what we could do is just go through a few simple vignettes of really classic met calls that happen and what you might be able to do in those situations. And I think the thing to keep in the background is always just staying calm, communicating really clearly um, and feeling like you can speak up. Even if you are a really junior member of the team, it can be very useful. Yeah, so um, Beck's got a list here of most common Met calls. Which are, what is it, what country or where is this from? Yeah, I don't know. Look, Seems a bit funny. This doesn't seem like my my experience of what the most common Met calls <laughs> Here's are. Here's some shitty data we found. <laughs> Enjoy. In 2006, in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, at a tertiary hospital, there they um they did an audit of Met calls over a year, and they found that almost half of them were for hypoxia. So 40% from hypoxia. 28% due to hypotension, 23% due to altered, altered conscious state, 19% for tachycardia, 14% for tachypnea, and interestingly, 8% for oliguria. Mm, actually, I might know which hospital this is. I've only heard of one hospital that has met calls for oliguria, which I'm, I don't know, I'm not supportive of, but anyway. Oh, we're getting a bit political here. <laughs> um, yeah, so look, let's just shoot straight into it. Um, but maybe like you're on your you're on your lunch break and then you hear oh that horrible noise Met haunts your dreams seven B orthopedics unit. So you're the orthopedic intern, Beck. I'm the orthopedic. You're intern. You're the orthopedic intern, and I'm the nurse on the ward. So I've called the Met call, and okay. you arrive. Okay, and no one else is here yet. No one else is here okay. yet. I'm looking very nervous. All I'm right. next to. Hannah. So I can't recognize this patient's face because I'm the ortho intern and every ward around there's just patients that we sort of wave out and walk. But I've got my hand over sheet in my hand. So I can see this is Hannah. She's 75, day two post-elective total knee replacement. Is that right, Sister yeah. Scott? <laughs> Thanks, Beck. <laughs> um, yeah, that's right. She's day two post-elective left. I'll just check my hand over. While you're doing that, what's says, the neck call for? Oh, um... Oh, what's the neck call for, Beryl? Um, I think she's her, on her break. Oh yeah, she's on her break. Um, it's for a high respiratory rate of thirty. Okay, all right. So while you're just checking your nursing hand over, I'm quickly looking at this patient. An end of the bed assessment, very useful. So having a look at her, she looks like she's got increased work of breathing. I can see she's got a Hudson mask on. 
Hannah, how do you feel? Uh, I'm a, a bit under the weather. Okay, I didn't realize we were going to be acting this out. Um, so, so just a quick question because that can help ascertain what her conscious state is like, which seems reasonable, and the fact that she can speak in a sentence. Already useful. Now, Maintain, um, Maintaining her airway. Maintaining her airway, yeah, exactly. Really important um, to check first because we're going through our Dr. ABC. Now... Um, Nurse Scott, can you tell me what the vital signs are? So respiratory rate's 30. The oxygen saturation's 85%. I see she's on oxygen. How much oxygen is she needing for that? Yeah, good question. She's on 10 litres via Hudson mask. Right, okay. What's her heart rate? Her heart rate's 95. And her blood pressure? It's 170 over 110. Okay. And she seems to be GCS 15. I can see she's got her eyes open spontaneously. She was just speaking to me appropriately. And... um. She, she she looks like she's compass mentis. We're not going to go too far into that. That's not what this situation seems to be about. Urgent MMNC. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so now what I'm going to do, knowing that imminently there's going to be a whole team of people arriving, is quickly see what other information I can get and institute what very basic first aid sort of management I can do. So it's a respiratory met call. So often one of the quickest, best things you can do in this situation is to sit the patient up. So I'm just also having a quick look at my handover sheet and I can see that Hannah has a past history of heart failure. And I can also see that she has fluids running. So another quick thing we can do, let's stop the fluids. Okay, so now the rest of the Met Call team arrives. And now often there's a bit of a division of labor, whereas the junior member, you'll be making sure all the practical stuff happens. And they'll be kind of reading about the patient and trying to formulate the situation and work out what needs, what kind of secondary kind of management needs to happen. Yeah, and in this situation, you're often going to be the only one who knows the patient. So what you need to do is a very quick targeted handover. So Scott is now the, what are you, the ICU reg? The ICU reg. Just walked in. And I'm the ortho intern, so I'm just going to say, thanks for coming. This is a met call for tachypnea of 30 and hypoxia, sats 85% on 10 litres. This is Hannah. She's 75, day two, post-elective knee replacement, and she has a history of heart failure. The end. That might have even been too much. So you want to just keep it really brief. Most ICU regs have stopped listening after you've said what the vital signs are. Most med regs are going to want to just double check what pets she has at home before we go much yeah. further into what it. pets? I'm just going to have your differential list ready. <laughs> um, okay, so so at this point, there's going to be lots of stuff happening simultaneously. Um, and you'll be guided by the leadership of the MET team. But you're thinking again of the AABBCC that you learn on MET conversations. Mm. So I'm the intern and I've got the folder in my hand. I'm just going to put the put the resuscitation status form in the team leader's face and say she's goals of care B2. She's not for intubation or CPR, mm. just so you know. She's still for NIV. It can be awkward to say that stuff out loud, so sometimes it's better if that's kept. <laughs> just yeah. Communicated well between the team, but yeah. not in front of a patient who's acutely hypoxic in respiratory distress. Yeah, so you want to perfect your meaningful eyebrow raises and point to the chart. Yeah, very meaningful eyebrow raises, maybe even double eyebrow. Mm. And uh, and then and then again, the second A is access. So while everything else is happening around you, you might put in a new cannula and take some bloods. So again, communicating. I'm putting in a cannula. 
what bloods would you like me to send this for? Yep, QB Fossa is good and usually 20 or bigger. Mm. Yeah. So you, um, as we talked about before, backgrounds, you want to make sure you've got the past history on the chart and can go through that. And in this case, we can see that, as you said, she's got a um, history of heart failure with low ejection fraction of 30%, history of diabetes, no history of um, COPD. And we can see that there's a trend of the OBS. So there was a sudden increase in her respiratory rate and oxygen recently. And um, we can see that her fruzamide today has been withheld and she's also had three liters of IV fluid. Um, and we'd also check her, well, we've already checked her med chart. Hmm. So, so while this is all happening, the, the med team, um, the other p- people in the med team might have uh, examined her lungs. So she's got, oh, well, I, Scott, you're the ICU, Reg. What did you find on her examination? So she's got um, bibasal reduced air entry, with some creps as well, scattered. She's got no wheeze. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so the differentials here are quite broad. We're not going to go too focus too much on that, um, but there's lots of things that could be causing this situation. Given her past medical history and the fact that she's got bibasal creps, a chest X-ray is probably going to be pretty important. So at this point, you might say, "Would you like a chest X-ray, Scott?" Um, I say, yeah, 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 so, okay. So yeah. in my hospital, what that would involve is um, calling calling radiology and writing a slip up. Um, that's going to take a while for it to come up. So in the meantime, we're probably doing an ECG and thinking about our differentials and instituting some management, which again, if you're the intern in your first week of work, it's not going to be your responsibility, but it's good for you to know what's going on. Um, so Scott, what would you be thinking or, or doing at this stage? So... If I'm leading the Met call, I, I, I like it's a good idea if you can think out loud and so everyone on the team is kind of on the same track. So yeah. you'd say something like, okay, from the history, Hannah's a 75-year-old lady, day two post-elective left knee transplant. We, knee we, transplant. <laughs> knee transplant. <laughs> <laughs> Did immunosuppression for that? <laughs> Let's get some plastic in there. Um, and, you know, we think she's got... Uh, probably an, she's hypoxic. We think she's got some acute pulmonary edema. So we're going to give her some diuresis. Um, at this stage, we're not suspicious for any sepsis or PEs or she's got no history of COPD. Her ECG was normal and there's no new drugs or allergies that we're aware of. Mm. So we we probably would be thinking of PE in the background, but the, the reason you said you're not thinking about at top of mind is, is the crepitations. Is that right? Mm, yeah. So yeah. we've got a pretty clear clinical cause and some reasons as to why she might have gone into APO. So we're not going to go too much into management now, but we've given her some IV fruzamide. We've got a GTN patch on her. Um, we've ordered the chest X-ray, which confirmed our suspicion of um, severe pulmonary edema with some bilateral effusions and some curly B lines, upper lobe diversion. Um, the gas comes back, and her she doesn't have a high CO2. Her hemoglobin's stable. Her lactate's normal at 0.5, so we're less worried about sepsis. Her electrolytes are fine. So this patient would probably need transfer to HCU for CPAP. Mm. So no sooner had that happened, suddenly you hear, maybe, what do you hear? There we go. <laughs> this is horrible noise. <laughs> uh, met call, Ward 6 South, General Medical Unit. Mm, and you've just changed your hat and now you're the medical cover resident and you run over there as fast as you can and you're the first on the scene and you see Praveen. And Nurse Beck is already standing diligently by the bed, ready to hand over excellently. So what's the deal with Praveen? Yeah, are you our cover intern? Yeah, I am. Great. Um, I'm <laughs> so much at just hearing myself. I'm a good actor. Yeah. Uh, so Praveen, um, he's, 
He's just come in a couple of hours ago. He's 86 and his blood pressure is 95 on 50 on his admission OBS. He says he feels okay though. Okay, so he's just gone up to come up to the ward, has he? He just got here, yeah. Okay. So as the intern now, you first just look at the patient from the end of the bed and Praveen actually looks fine. There's no kind of respiratory distress. He's looking around confusedly at all the machines being wheeled near him and nurses looking concerned. And so now you go back to Nurse Beck and you ask her, what are the OBS? Um, so his respiratory rate is 16. His oxygen saturations are 95% on two litre nasal prongs. Heart rate's 90. Blood pressure, 95 on 50, both arms. So that's the ABC, and so far all we've found is some asymptomatic hypotension. And you ask Praveen, how are you going, mate? Are you feeling all right? Yeah, I'm feeling fine, thanks, mate. Yeah. <laughs> so it sounds like he's, you know, at least potentially GCS at a first, 15 at a first screen. And you also note that he's afebrile. So now the other people from the Metcall team start to arrive, and you go through all these things we are talking about before. So AIMS. Yeah, so... Scrimmage and find that little goals of care form. And what is his aims? Oh, I'm the... I'm the oh, I don't even I'm know the anymore. doctor now, yeah. Oh, yeah, you're the reg, you're the reg now. It's a team, it's really a team effort, you know, yeah. flat hierarchies. Um, yeah, so as the junior doctor, this is the useful thing you can do. So you have a look and he's not for intubation or CPR. It's a bit of a trend. Yeah, so um, access. So you jump on, you realise that he doesn't have any access. Yeah. And you pop in a get ready to pop in a cannula. You say, "I'm popping in a cannula. What then, bloods would you like?" And then I might say, "Actually, don't worry about it." Or I might say, "Thanks." And so he's only just come up from ED, so he's probably got a cannula. And so, as a reg, um, Scott, can you tell me what his past medical history is? Yeah, sorry. So you've just walked in the room. So I should say, my name's Scott. I'm the medical intern oh, yeah. looking after this patient. Um, this is a met call for asymptomatic hypotension of 95 over 50. Praveen is an 86-year-old man who's just come up from ED with newly um, diagnosed community-acquired pneumonia. Great. So this is not a met call that I would be all that concerned about, but it's one that I see, all of us see, all the time. So um, other things that you would be doing, Scott, um, are probably less relevant given he's just come up from ED. So going through that list again, and we've said aims, we've said access, we've talked about the background, so we know he's just come in. What's his past medical history? So he's also got a history of COPD, heart failure with a low ejection fraction. He's got, um, his OBS have been fairly stable, so he was previously hypotensive in ED as well. Mm. He's been started on IV antibiotics, and he's also got a 10-hourly fluid bag running, but he didn't get any fluid boluses in ED. Mm. Okay. And um, so, Scott, I wonder if you can take some bloods for me. Um or we might just get you to print out the admission bloods, which were only taken two hours ago. Mm. So you might have a look at those. Might be good enough. Um, so while Scott's getting that, I might do a bit more of an examination. And here, left lower lobe creps, consistent with the known pneumonia. His JVP is not visible. He's got dry mucous membranes, capillary refills more than three seconds. So I'm thinking that this is probably a patient who's quite dehydrated. In this situation, you might not want to do a chest X-ray. We would always do an ECG though. And then the short-term management would be to lie the patient flat. Hypotension is always a good, easy first thing to do if they can tolerate it, mm. even put their legs up in the air. We might give a 250 mil bolus or perhaps even less if his ejection fraction is very low. Um, let's say I sent Scott to do a, a blood gas and his lactate is three. 
Yeah, so that's a sign that there might be um, problems with oxygen delivery. Um, so you might be thinking of either sepsis or um, kind of uh, hypovolemic. Mm. So it's consistent. Shock. Yeah, consistent with this case um, that, that he might be dry. So we've given this bolus, we recheck the blood pressure, and it's come up 105 on 55. So what you would often do in this situation would be increase the background maintenance fluids, perhaps put up a four-hourly bag, and ask Scott if he can come back and do a fluid review in two hours. Make sure you withhold the PM antihypertensive and stand it down. Cool. So let's keep going. It's a busy cover shift. There's all these other met calls. Really busy cover shift. (laughs) Met call. (laughs) Three West. Um, General surgical unit. Mm. So, Beck, I'll be the nurse. You can be the Gen Surge resident. Okay. Hi, I'm here to save a life. What can I do for you? Uh, well, I'm just a bit worried about Sloan. Um, uh, uh, just um, a bit low kind of G... This is a metcalf for low GCS. Oh, GCS. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, I'm looking at Sloan um, and he is looking extremely drowsy. So, I might have a quick look at the OBS. Um, at the same time, but looking at the patient, I can see that he's not opening his eyes, um, perhaps not listening, not, not opening his eyes when I talk to him, and he's only responding to pain. Um, so GCS 9. So, so give him, a, maybe on this point, you can try the sternal rub or you can try the trap squeeze. I really like if you um, use like a pen in their finger. Yeah. Because I think, it's, especially like a weak sternal rub, I don't think you're actually causing much pain. Yeah. Get in there. Yeah, that's, that's definitely, that's my pain inflicting method of choice as well mm. a good a good pen on or the nail eye bed. sockets from underneath it's or just rip one. out a few toenails and <laughs> get your torture implements out okay so we're going to go through dr abc and um, so a the airway is patent but you're worried it's at risk because his conscious state is so low so often in this situation even if they're still maintaining a patent airway i might do a jaw thrust to get the patient in a sniffing the air position and ask the nurse to have a bag and mask at the ready if you're really concerned that their airway is at risk, that's a code blue in most hospitals and you'd want to get someone with airway skills there. But let's say you're not so worried about that at the moment. We go to B. Um, so what's the respiratory rate? Respiratory rate's five. Okay, very well. the saturation's 90%. Okay, and the heart rate? Um, so we'll put some oxygen on him and the heart rate is 60 and the blood pressure's 100 over 60. Yeah, okay, good. So now... Is the Met team here? I don't really know what I'm doing. It's quite confusing. Runs running around. Yep, Met team's here. This is Scott. I'm the, I'll be the surgical reg. Just got out of theatre. Okay. Um, And so what I'm going to do is, again, go through AABBCC. So goals of care. His goals of care, A, he's for for everything. Um, Access. We're going to make sure he's got some IV access you might offer to put in... uh, cannula and take some bloods and um, but the key bit here is going to be to flick through that file and see if there's any clues to as to why he might have dropped his conscious state and in this patient you see that he um after his lap collie has had a lot of opiates and he has ckd which means he's probably storing them all in his system so he's had six milligrams of subcut morphine in the last couple of hours in addition to high dose of long-acting um opiates so we're worried here that he might have um, opiate overdose and be narcotized. And this is probably going to be instituted by the senior person managing the met call, but often you'll just try, give a trial of um, naloxone IV to see if that kind of wakes him up a bit. Hmm. So 
So let's say the Met team have had a look at his pupils and their pinprick. Um, he's got no lateralizing neurology and all his surgical sites and drain tubes look okay and we're giving him naloxone. We give 40 micrograms IV every minute until there's a response. Um, but if it's urgent, if they're not protecting their airways, you go straight to much bigger doses of 100 or 200 micrograms IV. This is not something that you're likely to do as a as an intern. Yeah, and, and like a real Met call, we're kind of going back and forth and instituting management at the same time as we're gathering information. So we got through AIMS access and background. So next we're going to see if we can find some old bloods and we confirm that he's got this old CKD, but he's hemoglobin stable. And we want to send another set of bloods urgently as well. And the key bit here for altered conscious state, one of the common things is um, hypercapnia. So mm. you'd be interested in doing a blood gas. Um, mm. If it's easier, just a VBG, but sometimes an ABG can help, particularly in a patient with a history of COPD, which this patient does not have. Because mm. if the CO2 is normal on the VBG, that's good for ruling out type 2 respiratory failure. But if it's high, you can't really rule it in. So that's when an ABG is particularly useful. Yeah. And um, so the C and C in this situation, chest x-ray is probably not your first priority here. And the other C is for electrocardiograph and ECG you'd want to do that make sure it looks okay but again not your first priority and then your last C is for calls so making sure you've called the home team registrar and I think a key thing in this situation if if he has responded to naloxone is to call the pain team and let them know that they've got a patient who has a need for analgesia but we've just um, undone some of that he's at risk of having a pain crisis but he also needs a good solid plan in place for the next few hours and days uh, that's got to uh, make sure that he's appropriately analgesic but also not narcotized. Yeah, so we had, we've got this provisional diagnosis of kind of opioid accumulation in his system. We've given him some naloxone. His GCS has improved to 14 over, you know, over a few minutes. And um, we've got this plan in place with an ongoing review of his analgesia, get the APS team to review him and check that we've crossed his opioids off the chart or um, can be reviewed in a couple of hours. Yeah, so a key bit here to know um, for everyone, um, naloxone only lasts 15 to 30 minutes, so you're not quite out of the woods yet. Okay. All right, right, they keep coming. Met call, lucky last. Lucky last one. Okay, so uh, we have a met call for... (laughs) Four North, diabetic foot unit, met call. Met call. Run, 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 run. Run, run, run. Um, Scott, I'm so glad you Don't actually run, by the way. That's <laughs> a bad idea. Just walk with walk with kind of... Purpose. Purpose, yeah. Um, I'm glad you're here to review this lady. I've just called a met call on her. Um, I think she's in rapid AF. Okay, so I look at the patient at the end of the bed. She looks like she's maybe in some mild distress, but she's got her airways patent. She looks okay. I don't need to call a code blue. So then I ask the nurse what the rest of the OBS are. Yep, so respiratory rate is 16. Her saturations are 95% on room air. It's normal. Circulation. Blood pressure is 130 on 80. And her heart rate is 140. And it's irregularly irregular when I take her pulse. Okay, so we've got fast AF with a normal blood pressure. Um, And you ask the patient... What's... Yeah, I feel I feel fine. I just wondered if I could have some different soup because I don't like the French onion soup. Okay, so urgent call through to the kitchen. Just kind of check that onion situation, see what's going on. Um, and now the you, you, the nurse is very clever and she's already done an ECG for you and it shows rapid AF. Um, what else are you looking for on the ECG, Beck? 
So I'm just looking to see if there are ischemic features. Um, sometimes there might be a little bit of ST depression, a rate-related ischemia, but that's a uh, listen to our AF podcast if you want some more details on that. Right. So now that everyone's kind of arriving, you're going through your secondary aims, you're probably staying by the patient while the reg kind of tries to process and formulate a plan. Mm. So we've got aims. Is this patient for met calls? Uh, yes, this patient is for met calls. Um, they're for everything. Okay. And do we have access? Yep. So you've got enough IV access. Great. And um, do we have the patient's past history? Yeah. So she's got type 2 diabetes. She's known to have atrial fibrillation and she has CKD. She's got a normal ejection fraction with no heart failure. She's normally on metoprolol, 25 milligrams twice a day. And she's in hospital for a diabetic foot ulcer and she's already on IV Piperacil and Tazobactam and has plans for a um, angiogram and debridement of that tomorrow. Okay. So all the things that might be precipitating this AF are already being treated. Great. Some of them. Sorry. So we checked the bloods from this morning, particularly yeah. looking at the electrolytes. Yeah, really important. So she's got a normal hemoglobin, elevated white cell count, as you'd expect. Her potassium from this morning was 3.3, which is low. Normal range is above 3.5. And her magnesium is 0.5, um, which is also low. And they haven't been replaced. Okay, so that, they'd be things that would be starting to instigate to do some IV replacement of potassium and magnesium. So we might even need two IV access points to try and get some stuff going. And so the next C after bloods was chest x-ray. So she had one yesterday. It was normal except for a bit of cardiomegaly. She won't need another one. Um, and calls. So does the home team know? Is yeah. anyone else sorting it out? So what's our formulation? What do we think is going on? So, so it sounds like this 74-year-old lady with a past history of atrial fibrillation, has gone into AF with a rapid ventricular response in the context of an infection um, and some uh, suboptimal electrolytes and perhaps some dehydration. So the management in this situation is often to give a fluid challenge, replace electrolytes, so it would give us some more magnesium and potassium. And if that doesn't work in the short term, you'd consider giving some oral um oral beta blockade like 25 milligrams of metoprolol often what we would do at our hospital is alter her met call criteria for four hours to let the medications and electrolytes and um, do their thing and and this is where it would be important for the junior staff to make sure that they follow up the blood results and then check the patient again in another few hours time sure okay cool yeah okay um so i think that's probably enough uh, so I'm not going to summarize because we've gone through our AABBCC about 10 times now. Um, but I think that what we really wanted to get out of this podcast was that if you are a junior, a junior doctor, even in your first couple of weeks of work, you can be a really, really useful part of the MET team. And the expectation is not that you can run a full recess by yourself, but um, it's better not to stand in the corner and get yourself involved and... Uh, even if you're a medical student, definitely stick around if they let you. And um, yeah, It's your right to be there. Like, don't get in the way, but you don't have to run away halfway down the corridor. If it's a big room, just stand in the corner, you know, and ask if you can help with anything. If you're a gun with IVs, maybe you were previously a path nurse, feel free to jump in if they want you to. Yeah. Um, what, what else? What, what else are our points? What are we trying to say? Enjoy your internship. <laughs> And yeah. um, no, that's probably it. But thanks, thanks everyone so much for all the messages we get. We really love it. And um, the old ego massage is greatly appreciated. 
If there's anything else uh, that you would like to help you enjoy your summer, um, if you're a uni student, um, let us know what episodes you'd be keen to hear. Mm. And um, if you've got any other suggestions for episodes or you think, you know, things you think might be useful, we're always keen for little tips, you know. And please, if it's going to be a favourable review, no, any review, um, review us on iTunes or give us a give us a rating on Facebook. Give us a like. We love the likes. We do. Thanks very much. <laughs> See ya. Bye. Bye.